Well, it looks like the canceled delegation is added once again. The latest victims include Wayfair behind internet conspiracy theories related to sex trafficking and Goya behind its CEO singing Trump's praises in the Rose Garden. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Graceful Hustle Podcast, where people of faith learn how to amplify their professional impact. I'm your host, Monique Carkham Edwards, a New Orleans girl who loves seafood, a wannabe fashion stylist, wife, and mother. I'm also an executive strategist, attorney, and pastor, and I'm here to help you get to the C-suite with your soul right. Hey y'all, welcome to this episode of the Graceful Hustle podcast. Should we cancel the cancel culture? Let's talk about it. Before we dive into that question, let's just define what I mean by the cancel culture. Within the past five years, the rise of the cancel culture and the idea of canceling someone has become polarizing. Uh, It's become a topic of debate with a familiar pattern emerging. Here's what usually happens. A celebrity or some other public figure does or says something deemed offensive by a segment of society. A backlash, often fueled on social media, ensues. Then come the calls to cancel the person. That is to effectively end their career or somehow revoke their cultural relevance and to impose some sort of punitive visit upon them, whether that's through boycotts of their work or maybe through disciplinary action from their employer. So we have all witnessed the cancel culture in some form or another, whether it was a couple years ago when the actor Kevin Hart was dismissed from hosting the Oscars due to a homophobic statement as part of his comedy routine some years ago, or whether it was more recently Amy Cooper, the woman in Central Park, losing her job after threatening to weaponize the police against Christian Cooper, no relation. The cancel culture was in effect um, even a few weeks ago when the Grammy award-winning rapper Lecrae, who is a Christian, sat down with Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy, who at times has been controversial because of his stances on certain social issues, particularly as it relates to LGBTQ. And uh, the conversation also included Pastor Louis Giglio. They sat down, the three of them, Lecrae, Dan Cathy, and Louis Giglio sat down to have a candid discussion about racism and the church. And as you may have heard, Louis suggested that the term white privilege be replaced with white blessing. And I won't go into his thinking about that. You can Google it and you can see the YouTube video. But needless to say, Louis was canceled behind that. And then black Twitter dragged Lecrae, dragged him, canceling him to a lesser extent, canceled him because he didn't explicitly correct or challenge Louis Giglio's statement of replacing white privilege with white blessing. Just this past week, we had people canceling Goya, the largest Hispanic food brand in the U.S. after the CEO of that company, while at the White House for the Hispanic Prosperity Initiative, praised Donald Trump and said the U.S. was blessed to have Donald Trump's leadership. And so this renewed 
the debate over the validity of cancel culture with some people claiming that is gone too far, it's become too vicious for the slightest infraction. People can be ostracized, saying that it leverages an unhealthy mob mentality to bully and punish people for the slightest perceived transgression or difference of opinion. Others say it's a valid, powerful form of activism. So which one is it? And do we have to pick one? Can it be both at the same time? Now, before we tackle that, let's start with a little bit of background because I believe context is always important. Cancel culture isn't new. Cancel culture, at least some version of it, is as American as baseball and apple pie. And unfortunately, it is as American as racism is. Why do I say this? Because at its core, cancel culture is about one thing, and that is power, power. Cancel culture is about how power is created, how power is disseminated, and how power is weaponized. It's about who has power and who gets to wield it. So cancel culture is often used against people in positions of power. Sometimes they're wealthy, they may be famous, they may be important people. Sometimes it's used against companies, but it's most likely used against important people or institutions who have a following and a platform like a Kevin Hart or like a Louis Giglio or like a Goya. And it's also used sometimes against everyday people like an Amy Cooper who wasn't, at least prior to her shenanigans in Central Park, she wasn't famous. But Amy did have power. And I want you to keep in mind, this is what cancel culture is about, power. Amy, as a white woman, had a tense encounter with a black man threatened to call the police and falsely accuse him by saying that a black man was threatening her. Then she proceeded to do just that, feigning hysteria and fear in the 911 call, knowing that would elicit a certain response from the police. So while Amy's not wealthy, she's not famous, she doesn't have millions of Twitter followers, I don't believe, she certainly felt powerful and in that moment, she was a part of a power structure. And so as a result of this incident, her job was canceled. So cancel culture is used against people in positions of power. And what we're seeing with the cancel culture is a shift in the creation and the wielding of that power. And this is what I mean when I say that the cancel culture is as American as racism is. For centuries now, from the halls of Congress to corporate boardrooms to television studios, there have often been actions taken and decisions made by people holding some sort of power. And in many instances, those decisions were made by people who did not consider or deem important the impact that those decisions would have on marginalized people, people of color, women, the disabled, immigrants. And these powerful people were able to do these things and make these decisions and take these actions with little or no repercussions. Why? Because the people that they were taking the actions against were marginalized and did not have a voice, but not anymore. Why? I got one word for y'all. Twitter. <laughs> now the repercussions of these bad decisions and bad behaviors are now being experienced in a new normal. So now the repercussions are being experienced in a new way because now marginalized people have a voice primarily through social media. 
So years ago, if I had a gripe or a complaint or an issue with a person or an entity that was more powerful than me, I would have had to write an email to the CEO and hope that he or she responds. I don't have to do that now. I don't have to hope that an article exposing an injustice that was done to me by my former employer or whatever gets published by a local or national newspaper. I can now decide to send a tweet or a post that both exposes and galvanizes. So marginalized people for the first time get to talk back to power, unhindered and unfiltered. And that's what I mean when I say that the cancel culture is rooted in a lot of the history in America because what's happening is people are now sensing a power shift, a dynamic shift. Marginalized people have not been heard equally. And now this is a attempt to level the playing field. Some say it's a misguided attempt. Some say it's right on point. But the cancel culture in many ways is that. And just like with any other power shift, some people are going to feel surprised or threatened by it. And with that reaction, often comes a demonizing of cancel culture. I don't say demonizing. Sometimes it's demonizing, but sometimes it's stereotyping of cancel culture as being a liberal or a leftist kind of thing. But I think that's a dog whistle attempt to dismiss the validity of of what's happening from a power dynamic. People wouldn't feel like they had to resort to this if power to speak to issues and address concerns had been more equitably distributed in the first place. So I believe that the cancel culture exists in large part, not in totality, but in large part in reaction to the reality that some people have held a whole lot of power for a very long time and that there is a need for a shifting of that so that everybody's interests get heard and represented. So is cancel culture an important tool of social justice or is it just a new form of merciless mob intimidation and character assassination? Is it one or the other or maybe it's both? Listen, I would be naive to believe that the cancel culture is all good. Cancel culture, I believe, can lead to a breakdown, a real, I think it's a real threat to civil discourse where people can disagree without the threat of the relationship being canceled or getting blocked on social media or being put on blast and now you're boycotted. So I do think that there are some dangers with the cancel culture. But here's what I find we tend to do. When things are difficult to navigate, we tend as a society to try to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I don't think that the risks of the cancel culture outweigh the potential benefit. I believe that if used correctly, cancel culture can be a key component in social activism because it promotes the idea that marginalized people should be empowered to reject the parts of American culture or the broader society that are harmful to their interests. In other words, if something is detrimental to me or not supportive of what's in my best interest, through the cancel culture, I can simply refuse to participate. I can not spend my money there. I cannot buy that product. I cannot attend this event. I cannot download that music. I cannot watch a certain thing. And so while canceling may not change a structural or systemic inequality, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, 
while cancel culture may not do that, as an individual, it gives me agency and it gives me power. I have agency over where I spend my money, where I spend my time, what I put my eyeballs on, what I give validity to, and I have power to determine what I will and will not be a part of. And I think that that is very much an act of a, a society that has determined that as we have in America, that people should have certain rights and obligations. So everybody has the right to their opinion. Everybody through freedom of speech has the right to express that opinion. But what we are not free from are the consequences for doing so. And cancel culture has put people on notice that one consequence of that may be that you are in some circles canceled. That's just kind of how it is. Do I think that that is necessarily right or wrong? No, but I do think that it is equitable. So cancel culture, yes, it can accomplish some good things, but as I said, it can also allow people an easy way to expunge or isolate and exile anybody with whom they do not perfectly agree. And, and, and that's a real risk. And I think that that is, a, that is wrong. And I think that risk needs to be managed as opposed to eliminating the tactic. Because I think the even bigger risk and the worst outcome if we eliminate or cancel the cancel culture is this. I think that folks anger, people's anger, their being upset is satiated by this expression of cancellation and then what we do is we fail to remain focused on eradicating the real culprits, the people who profit from discrimination and injustice, the systems and the structures that enable them. Let me give you a case in point. R. Kelly. For decades, there were whispers of R&B superstar R. Kelly being a sexual predator. For decades, this has been whispered. And finally, he was convicted in 2019 of numerous criminal sexual charges in multiple states for preying on young women, some girls as young as age 13 at the time when it happened. Now, once he was the self-proclaimed Pied Piper of R&B, he had hits like Step in the Name of Love, I Believe I Can Fly, he had an almost cult-like following amongst boomers and Gen Xers, black boomers and Gen Xers. And he was exposed, as many people know, in this Lifetime docu-series called Surviving R. Kelly. That happened last year, the year before. And since then, you know, charges have been brought, recording contracts have been terminated, music boycotted in certain spheres, the whole nine. R. Kelly is now the definition of cancel. In most circles, not all, but in most. But note that I said his crimes have been rumored and suspected for decades. How did R. Kelly possibly get away with this? Turns out R. Kelly was protected by a web of enablers who in my mind were really co-abusers themselves, not just relatives and friends, but also music industry executives who knew or at least had reason to suspect what was going on. So while R. Kelly is canceled and should he be held to the yeah, 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 he should be canceled. I have yet to see any meaningful changes coming from the music industry, the system that supported and enabled and rewarded this madness for decades while R. Kelly was a big hit factory and a cash cow for them. 
And I believe now the only reason why they are taking any steps against him is because he's way past his prime and they've already made the majority of money that they're going to make off of him. So the industry culture and systems that supported his nonsense and his crimes are still very much intact and have not been held accountable. So what's my point? My issue with the cancel culture isn't that it exists. My issue is that it, it, it needs to be utilized differently. I believe that the cancel culture needs to exist in order to give some measure of power to the otherwise powerless. But my issue is that its efforts alone are not often meaningful enough to bring about structural change or change to systems and organizations that are engaging in things that are wrong. Now, listen, this is the Graceful Hustle podcast. I'm talking to people of faith and y'all know I'm a Christian. I rep Christ all day, every day. I need to make sure that as a believer, I am exercising my agency, my power of choice to cancel the things that Jesus would have wanted canceled. I am not using my cancel power, I'll call it that, to bully anybody. I'm not using it to malign people with no foundation. I'm not using it to spread internet lore and social media posts, hype and conspiracy theories. I need to make sure that I am talking about inequities and injustices and hatefulness and marginalization in ways that Jesus would have talked about and addressed them. I need to be saving my energy for the things that really matter. And so my encouragement to you is to make your exercise of your right to cancel whomever and however you want to as part of an effort, make it part of an effort for some real accountability. Make it part of an effort to deal with some of the structural and systemic things at the levels where power and decision-making sit. And one other important concept to talk about is redemption. Redemption. I believe that as believers, as Christians, one of the ways in which the cancel culture is harmful and it should not be is that not allowing space for redemption, not allowing space for people to say sincerely, I was wrong, I messed up, I'm going to try to do better, y'all help me do better. That I believe is Christ-like. Christianity doesn't mean that we have to be stupid. We all know when we're dealing with a performative apology. We all know when we're dealing with something that is not legit, the apology is not legit, or the, the apology is given, but then the actions don't line up with it. They keep going back to the same old foolishness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when folks say, yo, we messed up. Our bad. Sorry. Here's our plan to address this. Here's our plan to remediate it. Here is our plan to do better. And we invite you to be part of a process that holds us accountable for doing so. So I really believe that we can engage the cancel culture as one part of a strategy to force change. And I'm going to give you this historic example, the Montgomery bus boycott. It shifted the balance of power between the local transit authority and black people. Black people made up 75% of its ridership, and yet they were forced to stand at the back of the bus. 
give up their seat for white people. They might be their their fares might be rejected. Their fares were being arbitrarily determined. They might be passed up. The bus might decide driver might decide he didn't feel like picking up black people that day, and he might not stop to pick them up. It was all kind of nonsense going on. They were being discriminated against and dehumanized by the transit authorities' practices. Black folks canceled the public bus system and walked whatever they had to go for a whole year. And that was galvanizing. And it was part of a strategy that was designed not to attack the bus driver, not to villainize the people on the bus, but to attack the system and the structure at the root or the head, how whatever analogy you want to use, so that real accountability and change could come about. And so I believe that as we examine, should we cancel the cancel culture? I say, no, we shouldn't. It's a powerful tool, but I do believe that it needs to be wielded like a scalpel, not like a jackknife. I think people, when we exercise cancel culture in our agency and in our power and our decision-making, we need to be clear, we need to be precise, and we need to be strategic about the decisions that we make about who and what we are going to cancel. And then we need to ask, am I canceling for the sake of retribution? Am I canceling for the sake of being able to say, you know, thumb in your eye, this is what I'm doing back to you? Or are we canceling this as a part of a an effort to bring about real accountability and change for injustices, inequities, and marginalization. This has been the Graceful Hustle Podcast, episode number 43, Should We Cancel the Cancel Culture? Y'all take good care, and I'll see you at the top.